This week, the infamous Mickey and Jesse join us to talk about Secure Boot and why it may not be all that secure as they give us a glimpse into their DEF CON 2022 talk titled One Bootloader to Rule Them All. In the security news, key fob hacks and stealing cars, the best black cat talks of all time, open redirects are still open, the keys to decrypt the Wizard of Oz are in a strange place, why the Linux desktop sucks, why businesses should all switch to Linux desktops, SGX attacks, let me send you an Uber to take you to the bank, 27-factor authentication, start your management engines, and guess what? Your DMs are not private, and you should have used Signal. All that and more on this episode of Paul's Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things getting sniffed, and the cocktails flow steady. It's Paul's Security Weekly. Right now, everybody is talking about cryptocurrency, and the cybercriminals are hiding in the conversation. Cybercriminals use social engineering loaded with urgency and fear to successfully prey on your company, your employees, and your customers. Spear phishing is just one of 13 types of email threats. Barracuda has identified these 13 types and shows you how you can protect your company, your customers, and your reputation. Find out about the 13 email threat types and Barracuda email protection. Get your free ebook at securityweekly.com forward slash Barracuda. That's securityweekly.com forward slash Barracuda. SOC analysts are unsung heroes. The SOC Analyst Appreciation Day Awards Program recognizes analysts who go above and beyond the call of duty and handle their pressure-packed jobs exceptionally well. SOC leaders nominate your top-performing team members to show them just how much you appreciate everything they do to thwart cybercrime. Diva will award analysts during this year's SOC Analyst Appreciation Day events on October 19th. You have until September 6th to get your nominations in. Visit securityweekly.com forward slash Devo to learn more. And welcome to the show. But first, let me introduce you to a man who was going to get a job at an ice cream Sunday shop. And I blew it because he didn't want to work on Sundays. <sighs> Mr. Positori. Welcome everyone to Paul's <laughs> Security Weekly. It's episode number 751 recorded on Wednesday, August 10th, 2022 right here in G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island. To my left, none other than Mr. Larry Pesce. <gasps> Yeah, it's been a week. What's going on, man? It's going. <laughs> it's going. It's going. It's going. going. I'm here. I'm here. And that's all that matters. We're going to talk about Linux desktops. Uh, gotta Lord. go. Good Lord. <laughs> so Remember, Larry, it's the year of Linux. It What's is that? the year of the Linux desktop. It's every true. single year. Mr. Josh Marpet is here with us. Josh, welcome. Well, thank you, Paul. Always happy to be here. Nice to have you. Happy. You keep using that yes. word. A couple of uh, quick announcements before we dive. We're going to do the news segment first. Then we're going to cut to a pre-recorded interview with Mickey and Jesse. Although not on the live stream but when you're listening to the recording. Because we can't air anything about DEFCON talks in depth until tomorrow. Just, oh. Yeah, that's why. <clears throat> Interesting. Okay. So, if you like the show and you wouldn't mind going into your favorite podcast catcher, giving us a rating, we would be eternally grateful. I know many of you have been listening to the show for quite a while and may not have done so in some time or maybe just haven't done so at all because we haven't really asked you. Uh, so Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and others have a way to rank podcasts 
Uh, you can give us a ranking. You can leave a comment in there on some platforms. And getting a ranking in those ecosystems really helps the show. Thank you all for doing that. Um, don't forget to visit securityweekly.com forward slash subscribe, where you can subscribe to all the shows on the Security Weekly Network. Join our Discord channel and follow us on social media. Also, right there on the top of that page is where you can find episode starter packs, collections of Spotify playlists, a collection of Spotify playlists with some of our favorite episodes from years past. These are great if you're new to the show and want to listen to some amazing interviews and segments. <clears throat> this will be oh the new oh more announcements. I, just a quick one that our, our listeners may <clears throat> actually kind of find fascinating, as I know you will, Paul. Um, but to uh, red letter date in history today, August 10th in 1998, 11-year-old Dade Zero Cool Murphy's family is fined $45,000 for his crashing of 1,507 computer systems, causing a seven-point drop in the New York Stock Exchange. And he was subsequently banned from computers and touchtone telephones until his 18th birthday. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. I can almost hear <coughs> the music in my head of the next scene when you're on the airplane flying to New York. Yep. Wait a minute, how long ago was that? 1988. Oh my god. Well, in the movie script, right. it was written as <clears throat> 1998. It's from the movie, John. It's from the movie. It's from yeah, the I know, I know, oh, I know. But oh. like, it was the fact that that was a, 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 a legitimate date for that movie mm -hmm. makes me just feel old. really freaking old, dude. Old, old. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to pick a story to make you feel young, but I don't know that I have. So, any. if you if you think about that, if, if he was 11 years old in 1988, and he could touch computers again based on the movie, and he was 18, that would have made the movie 1996. Yeah. Yep. It was made in 1995, yep. and it was very futuristic. Yep. In, <laughs> so in it makes sense that it was a year <laughs> ahead of its time. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I want to talk about the Honda. Honda Keith, but I also saw a thing about. <clears throat> and I, did I? I didn't add it. I saw another thing about the USB ports in. Oh. Uh, Hyundai cars. Hun oh, Hyundai. As Hyundai. 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 As opposed Hyundai to Honda. Hyundai. Very different. Yeah. Hyundai, Hyundai USB car unlock. Uh, I didn't add the story, but go ahead with yours. Oh yeah, where did my, where did man go? Yeah, so we reported a couple weeks ago uh, about some uh, uh, software-defined radio hackery with some Honda cars, and we uh, we reported on one a while back, even prior to that. Uh, one of them was the uh, the project was called the Unoriginal Rice Patty, uh, and then uh, the more recent one was uh, was Rolling Pone, uh, and there's a link to the paper in the uh, <clears throat> the article. Um, the folks that wrote the Rolling Pwn uh, paper didn't actually release any of the tools to do so. But the methods that they described gave enough to be able to have folks recreated, I'm assuming, uh, because these uh, the folks at uh, the, the Drive blog uh, actually went and recreated the attack, uh, with which looks like uh, a, <clears throat> um, um, a hacker F with um a uh from the sharebrain tech stuff man words are escaping me today english is hard 
Uh, the Porter Pack. We just drink more. Yep, agreed, agreed. Um, and they said uh, they were able to uh, perform set attacks and independently confirm um, the ability to pl- replay rolling codes that were captured much earlier uh, to unlock uh, and ve- uh, to unlock vehicles. So, uh, turns out, uh, ultimately, you know, when we reported on it earlier, it's uh, some. Uh, issues with um, validating um, pseudorandom number-generated numbers um, f- with their internal database and whether they're valid or not mm. on the car. So, yeah, confirmed. And apparently, I, I don't know whether they got to the folks that actually did um, the uh, attacks or they found someone else that had recreated it and um, made it work. The one that I found was <clears throat> the ignition design system makes Hyundai's and Kia's okay. easy to steal with USB cords. And if you look at one of the videos, I don't think it was in this one, it literally looked like a USB connector, a cord that they connected in yep. and was able to turn the ignition over. Now, where were they um, connecting that cord into? Into uh, like the in-dash USB? No, it was like in the ignition. Co- Hold on, I had a better, <coughs> I had a better video. Wait, uh, uh, okay. bug. I, I wish I had added this now. Oh, here it is. The drive. How thieves are stealing Hyundai's and Kias with just a USB cable. Hold on, let me put this one in Discord. This is what we need to just play the video on the. We have the capability to do that. I don't know why we uh. don't do that. Because that would require pre-planning. You know, Larry, that's exactly why we don't do that. <laughs> why? I just need to connect my computer in. I mean, after all these years, we're still just winging it, right? I don't know. <clears throat> I should have connected Dude, my... Uh, now it's it says just the because you're pretty freaking good at winging it. No. Now it says the freaking video is, is private. Wait, what? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm sorry for not saving the video when I watched it. But in the second article from the drive that I put in there, there was a video that showed him where on the steering column he plugged it in. Larry was able to turn it over. But apparently it's older vehicles and it's causing a real problem in Milwaukee. I don't know why (laughs) Milwaukee is so popular. You know, I'm I'm looking at this. Uh, Korean cars represent more than two thirds of all vehicle thefts in the city and they've increased 2,500% over a year. Milwaukee has even considered taking Hyundai and Kia to court over the matter because there's so many Hyundais and Kias being stolen in this city. And they link to the Kia Boys, uh-huh. story of teenage car theft. Apparently there's like a group, like it's a gang that goes around and steals cars. But I don't think necessarily like take them, take them. They just take them for a joyride and then crash them and leave them or whatever. Uh, so this is not a technology-based attack at all. Mm-mm. Effectively, what they're doing is they're disassembling the steering column for older Kias that have a key. Mm-hmm. And instead of like the old school using a screwdriver mm. to start them, the um, the uh, male end, the yep. male end of a USB A cable just happens to fit over this little post, making this uh, post very accessible to turn the post. So this is a physical. It's a fi- attack. It, yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it's it's physical attack in that the USB cable just happens to be the right size to fit over this post to make it easy to turn. 
Uh, <laughs> I, so I'm glad I asked you that because yep. I was looking at the video, which has been since taken down. <clears throat> yep. And looking for something on the other end of the USB yeah. cable. It, but it was just a cut cable. There was it, nothing on the other side. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it could be not cut, but it just it doesn't it need to need be. anything on the other yeah, side. It's, it's, it's merely a tool to be able to turn this knob more efficiently. Um, because you can't do it with a screwdriver because it protrudes. The video I just sent in, in Slack at about 47 seconds. That's the video that I was watching. You found it. Yep. Because yeah. Inside Edition got captured it for us. Inside Edition. Nice. nice. So the and the, the the maybe one of the technical failures here is that many modern vehicles um, for the keys that go into a slot have some sort of electronic immobilizer. Mm-hmm. So that even if you have a copy of the physical key shape for the keyway, right, there's, there's some other the electrical yeah. in the fob that would prevent it from from working. In this case, these Hyundai models with these types of keys do not have an immobilizer. Correct. So as long it's as older you can, cars, right, yeah, as long as you can rotate the tumbler, it will start. Well, I'm glad we got that cleared up. That's terrifying. <clears throat> yeah. Please don't use this to steal car. Well, you have to get in the car first, and you have to take apart the steering column. Um, That's what it said. I, I would venture to guess that both of those could be accomplished with a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Hammer and a USB cable. This is true. Hey. Yeah, they just they're just using a screwdriver to pop the window down. I'm sorry, I'm watching the video. Yep. Using a screwdriver to pop the window down and get a wire inside to get the door open. Yep. And then they just use the USB cable to pop the steering column and uh, I guess hit enough wires to make it go room. No no hitting of wires. It's literally you're taking the USB yeah. cable and you're plugging it into the shaft that turns the tumbler. Right. Oh my God. Seriously? <laughs> Seriously. 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 I thought that was just to open the column. No. Nope. Oh my God. A USB cable acts as the key. Do you remember when Sony put the root kit out on their CDs? Yep. (laughs) And somebody figured out you could just use a Sharpie on the edge of the CD and it would take the root kit coat off? Uh Uh-huh. This is uh, like the opposite of that. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good God. I love it. Uh, The best Black Hat and DEF CON talks of all time. Oh. How many of the fail panel ones are on there? You know, there's... I, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but I think the CDC with the, the throwing of the meat, that was at DEF CON, right? I think so. Yeah. Or the, the one where they released back orifice. Yes. I don't know if that was the same one they threw the meat. The meat throwing might have been at Hope. One of those, I've watched videos of that's some of my favorites. That one's not on here. Um, none of your DEF CON panels are on here, Larry. That's Okay. You have some good shenanigans. Yep. No, but these are these are some epic epic talks in here. There's some epic talks on there too. I mean, it'd be hard to come up with a list all time list. I mean, I find ones now that I was like, wow, like I kind of remember seeing this when this came out, but I watch it now and I'm like, wow, this was amazing research. When was this given? 2017. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, wow, that's interesting. I do have to say, probably my favorite. And only, like, not necessarily, like, how do you judge what makes a good Black Hat or DEF CON talk, right? Yeah. Like, I think it's just like a feeling, right? And I was actually, they list Barnaby's DEF CON 18 presentation, but he gave the same talk at Black Hat. And yep. I was at that Black Hat, standing in the room, 
when Barnaby Jack made money come out of an ATM live on stage. Yep. Uh, like there was a lot of naysayers and blah, blah, blah. But like that was cool. Like the whole <laughs> crowd like erupted. Like we were cheering and screaming. It was standing room only at Black Hat. And like when he hit the enter key in his laptop and money started flying out of the ATM, that was it was money. <laughs> I see what that you was, did. That was awesome. That was amazing. I could, I agreed. It was amazing. That's definitely one that sticks out in my mind. Any of the other ones stick out in your mind? Um, uh, so from this list specifically? Yeah, or just in general. Panic in the Cisco? Yeah. Uh, Panic. My, was my, that the stinky dinky one? That was. That's the stinky uh, dinky. I, I, I referenced I, that. I, I effed the, the internet and the stinky dink, with the stinky <laughs> dinky. Yep. He said that at ShmooCon. And someone got it. Are we supposed to talk about that? I, don't know. I feel like statute of limitations. That has, was, dude. That was almost fifteen. That was fifteen years ago. Yeah. Seriously. 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 Yeah. His talk was in two thousand and five, and it was. Right when we started the podcast, and, and someone, was, yeah. someone, someone quoted him. I don't want to give away. Even it's been fifteen years, but he was like, I could basically bleep the internet with my stinky dinky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was and that was after the talk, and that was while he was at Schmoocon because we right. were present for that, and we may have also been nearly as obliterated as Mike. Was. Very true, <laughs> Pro- <laughs> probably more. Yep, I, I believe that was when we were sitting in the hotel lobby of Schmoocon with a forty of old English, because I have those pictures somewhere. Yeah, Oof. those, those mem- are black material, man. Be careful. Yeah, I know. Those memories are pretty fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> That's why there's pictures. Wait, what? But I, I remember that dude. Because I remember the stinky, um, di- the stinky dinky he quote. Was part. Yeah, stuck with me. Who who was the one that steal a billion dollars in ten minutes? It was about the Swift system. Oh, I, I was freaking people at banks out with that for a little while. I'm like, yeah, Swift is bad. Like, oh no, Swift is amazing. And I just referred them to the talk. I lost the link years ago, but I I, I would refer them to the talk, and they'd come back like white, you know, just like like all color drained out of their face. Can we get more security for the Swift terminal? Sure. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Uh, some of the other some of the other ones that were were epic for me that that I was present for. Um, Kristen Paget's uh, summer uh, for analysis on RFID and IMSI, being able to, but and being able, she did one on an IMSI catchers too, didn't she? IMSI catchers. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, that was the one, the one that I liked was the RFID one because she was reading. Uh, she was showing that she could read RFID from ridiculous ranges what's jeff moss's site that uh archives all the talks archive.defcon.org no it's uh info info con info con db is not is not that's a different one that i wanted to reference a different one if uh conferences.db no somebody's screaming at us in discord right now infocon from alan i'll check uh, so I use info. So speaking of like, if you had to go back and watch some and, and pick out which ones are your uh, favorite, media.defcon media.defcon.org. Is it? I don't know. That's what Alan Alan Nealon says. But Jeff also know. has uh, Jeff also has one that is not just uh, not just DefCon. It's all like all conferences, podcasts, everything. Hmm. And now I can't remember what the link is. You're all out of evens. Alan's, Alan's typing. InfoconDB.org is one. It's not complete, but it, it's pretty good. And that's searchable. So you can plug in someone's name into Infocon. Is it Infocon.org? Alan, you're 
You're amazing. Thanks, man. <laughs> Infocon.org is Jeff Moss's one that archives documentaries, podcasts, rainbow tables, and the like, but also cons. So if you want to, if, if you're looking for previous, most of my blog posts, I've had to go back and, and research previous research yeah. um, and put a <clears throat> chronology together on it. And these sites have been extremely helpful. Alan, thank you. I couldn't remember what the, what Jeff's site was. Blackhead Archive, Alan put in the infocon.org. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there, there, so infocondb.org and infocon.org. Oh, yeah. There we go. Oh, my God. It's been so long. So now everyone's going to infocondb.org and they're plugging their names in to see <laughs> if you have an entry in there. <laughs> it's like, the, yes. it's like the, the hacker version of IMDb lookups. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Basically, yeah. But a lot of these also now have the videos. Because the videos tend not to come out to like a year after the conference, so you forget. Yes. So I've been going back and watching, you know, UEFI firmware ones from 2017. Because 2017 was like the year uh, for firmware UEFI and Intel ME and AMT research. Yep. Uh, which I just published. Hey, you know what? That's a great segue. That was, the, was that the year of uh, introducing some of the evil maid attack type stuff? Around that time. Okay. Yep. My story number 24. How uh, do I know all these, these archive things? Because I had to put together a complete chronology uh, of this, security research. This story's this this blog post is written by that asshole. Though. It's written by that asshole, Paul Sidorian. That's right. Uh, writes those firmware security blog posts. <laughs> fucker. And uh, so I had to put the chronology together of all this research. So it turns so for Intel ME. So this post is all about Intel's management engine or manageability engine or what they refer to today as CSME, Converge Security and Manageability Engine, because Intel, like Microsoft, can't make up their name and what they want to name stuff. <laughs> um, and it's background, public outcry that you have this since 2006. If you have an Intel processor, you've got a computer inside your computer, like CPU, RAM, uh, firmware kernel, uh, inside your computer. They totally hired Exhibit. And they did. <laughs> Uh, and it sits at ring minus three. But then I had to go into Intel ME vulnerabilities. I dated it back to Black Hat 2009 by Invisible Things Labs introducing ring minus three rootkits is where my chronology started. Joanna Rotesco also has a, a talk that references that research. And they reference some of Yuri's research, um, who's one of the founders of, of Eclipsium in his talk from 2008, so even previous to 2009. He wasn't talking about ME specifically, but some techniques that they used. So I walked through like the whole history up until today. And the one of the reasons I wanted to uh, pivot from talking about the sites that uh, have talks is because in 2019, I, I culminated with behind the scenes of Intel security and manageability engine, which is Intel engineers presenting at Black Hat. And you get the slides in the video of that talk. So if you want to understand today how it works, like brace yourselves, buckle your seatbelt, and watch this talk from uh, from Intel. It's extremely technical, but goes into depth. And then I cover how to, with open source or freely available tools, discover Intel ME AMT on your system and enumerate vulnerabilities. So you can follow along at home, install the tools uh, that I show you there. Um, and then I also cover... The infamous question, can I remove Intel ME from my system? I mean, 
like technically no, but you can but yes, but you can <laughs> reduce its functionality. Um, but most of the iron, you can do amazing things. Well, uh, you need a, you need a spy a spy programmer. You basically have That's to read easy. the firmware off with the spy programmer and then put it put it back, like shrink it and then put it back on. I mean that's the 30,000 foot view. Please don't go do that. Like, oh, I heard Paul said all you have to do is pull like, you know, you pull the the ROMs off the, you know, the the firmware off the the spy chip and then shrink it with this Python script that you find on GitHub and then I can put it back and everything will be fine. No, not what I'm saying. I'm saying don't <laughs> do that. If you're going to do that, do it at your own risk, and don't, God forbid, don't do it in any production system or like your primary laptop or computer. Don't do that because things can obviously go horribly wrong. Yes, yes. An exercise left into the reader if you so choose to go down that dangerous path. You are. are I on, see. You also like to live dangerously. Yes, yes, you would be living dangerously. Yes. Um. So my one of my solutions for Linux is boot up on Heron's Boot City Windows PE and. Put all the tools for updating ME on that and oh. update Intel ME nice. on a Windows bootable thumb drive. So I was going to I was going to say the same thing, well, similar similar <laughs> thing, Paul, because you know we were we were back and forth before the show a little bit. And uh, dude, all your instructions are for Linux, but I use Windows. Mm. Can I use the Windows subsystem for Linux on WSL? There are different. Um, now I'm getting confused because my first post was on DBX. Definitely Windows commands to do it on DBX uh, for DBX updates. For ME, the OEM manufacturer tools will run. And I think there's some PowerShell commands that you can run mm. to interrogate your ME uh, devices from Windows. But I didn't cover them. I covered mostly Linux. Actually, I covered all Linux. Nice. Very nice. Yeah, yeah, because I, I run Linux, so um, yeah. But the certain uh, of those Intel's tools as well are available, Larry, for Windows. Oh. So particularly the last one is the most recent one. Um, not Intel ME tool, not Chipsec. Mm -hmm. There is an Intel tool that you can run. Which I might, I thought that was in my post. I may have to go back and put that in. But there is, uh, yeah. Oh, I'm missing the commands there. I'm sorry. I'll huh. have to put that in the toast. So uh, there is a tool called the CSME version detection tool. Um, and this tool is freely available from Intel and runs on Windows and or Linux. And will uh, it is the up to date tool that will basically tell you if you have vulnerabilities, um, but not tell you which ones. There is a chunk of text missing from this post, which is why I haven't put it on social media yet, because I wanted to make sure <laughs> that I didn't miss something or make a mistake when I when I posted it, and I did. I missed a, a chunk there, so I apologize. I will put that in uh, either tonight or first thing tomorrow morning yeah, and update that. But yeah, so Intel. CSME version detection tool, Larry, on cool. Windows. Awesome. So that is that post. What else? They're 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 claiming that I'm felony larping here because I'm wearing an orange shirt. So apparently I'm in D block jail. I thought you were in CPAC jail. Oh, oh, oh God! Dude, sorry. Don't, don't. 
Sorry. No, oh, no, don't, sorry. No, no politics. Sorry. My bad. <clears throat> My oh. bad. <sighs> that, that, that don't get, yeah, no, bad. I will, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, next. Just next. First DEFCON? <laughs> nope. You have oh. a story in there, Josh, about your guide for a first time DEFCON visitor, and you said it wasn't bad. It's not bad. It's a guide. Uh, uh, Bishop Fox, I think, put it out. Uh, uh, I forget. And, yeah, it uh, was Bishop Fox. Yeah, nice people over at Bishop Fox. Yeah, the they really are. Vin, and they Vinnie Lou, really... Vinnie Lou's company. Yep. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And they did a really nice guide on on how to get around your first DEFCON and not be freaked out. There's a lot of uh, Reddit threads in in the DEFCON subreddit about, oh my god, it's my first DEFCON. What do I do? And there's so many people that it's their first DEFCON, and which is very traditional. I think it's like 50 to 60% of most people at DEFCON, it's their first DEFCON, every DEFCON. Um, and so there's a lot of people there that are just as confused and worried and don't want to look like an idiot as you. And don't worry, chill out, relax. And some of those people have been going for 10 years that are confused and don't want to look like an idiot. No, that that's me. Anyway, so <laughs> it, it's it's... It's so much fun. Make so many friends. Enjoy the hell out of yourself. You're going to spend way too much money on food because you're like, oh my God, the cheap food is so far out there. Please, whatever you do, stop at Whole Foods or Target and get some granola bars. Um, just relax and enjoy. Go find a village. Live there for a day. You'll they'll, they'll, by the by the time the day is up, you'll be an intern at a company or have a job <laughs> or have a best your best friend. Nice. Or maybe all of the above. Um. I, I don't agree with the bring cash, leave credit cards at home. I think you should take your credit cards. Like, don't travel without credit cards. Mm -hmm. Like, don't do that. Um, in fact, there's almost better protection on a credit card. If you lose your credit card, you can call the company up and cancel it. If you lose your cash, it's gone. So definitely bring both cash and credit cards. I don't use the ATMs in the hotels where, yeah. like, DEF CON or Black Cat are taking place because... Sometimes, oftentimes, there are shenanigans happening. Maybe maybe less so. Maybe not. I mean, there have been stories from years past, but I, I just tend to make that a, a rule, which is why I would bring cash maybe. I mean, use the ATM in the airport, right, um, kind of thing. I would take your credit cards. Um, now, your electronics. I'm glad this guide, Josh, doesn't say, like, bring your burner phone, bring your burner laptop. Like, what is, oh, what is that? even mean and i like here's the crux of it and i've done this before now it's not it's not a bad idea but like recognize the security level that this this brings so i'm going to mm -hmm. get a, a a phone as my aka burner phone yep. right and what is the first thing i'm going to do with it i'm, I'm going to put my apps on it so i can talk with people <laughs> yeah, i can check my mail and i can do signal I can check I can... my mail and like well i gotta yep. check facebook because all my friends that are going to black hat are also yep. and like some of those i only it. know i can only can contact on facebook on so facebook I so messenger, I need facebook messenger yep. right and then i need twitter because some of those people i contact on twitter dms and i need slack because that and then before you know it you've got okay so you've maybe left off your banking Think apps stuff. your yep. home automation apps but like I need all my passwords, so like LastPass has to go on there. Otherwise, I'm not going to log into anything, right? So it does reduce your risk profile. However, I want to caution folks: if you typically like these burner phones or laptops are older hardware, working easier a, to hack. 
Working at Eclipse, I can tell you older hardware is bad when it comes to security, especially of your firmware, right? Yep. Older phones, older laptops may not have mo- like more modern protection to protect you. I think you're better off bringing your most modern hardware and locking that down as much as possible. Uh, maybe even uninstalling some apps uh, yep. from your phone and or your laptop. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, the, the, honestly, go ahead, Josh. I apologize. Uh, honestly, if you're if you're at DEF CON and you're worried about this, uh, what Paul said is impressive. Uninstall your banking app, uninstall your home automation app, that kind of thing. But uh, the other part is that get on the DEF CON Wi-Fi. Most times, the non-competitive DEF CON Wi-Fi, the locked down <clears throat> DEF CON Wi-Fi, uh, the one you have to register for and get a certificate and everything else for, is actually better than the cell towers. Yeah. Because every DEF CON, cell tower is just appear okay Uh Mm -hmm. and um yeah we're getting uh run plan nine (laughs) in discord but um get on the defcon wi-fi and use the defcon wi-fi they're running it straight through an isp the cell towers however there are multiple cell towers that appear i actually worked with one of the casinos one year and we counted 40 new cell towers for defcon and it was um unpleasant so it was very interesting. So, uh, yeah, just get on the DEF CON Wi-Fi, the registered, safe DEF CON Wi-Fi. It's very, very clear which is which. Uh-huh. And you'll have a much better time, and it'll be much more secure and yeah. protected. Now, one of the things that I think I saw some uh, some stuff here from uh, someone from U- the, the YouTube chat. Um, I think the last couple of years I went to DEF CON, like, even though it was a quote work trip, I think there was the level of expectation that I wouldn't be in touch with work because mm-hmm. it was DEFCON and I didn't even bring a laptop. Like I didn't even need to bring that electronic into that environment because I knew I wasn't going to use it. Having, and, and you know, this is and just a general type of travel thing. You don't bring that shit. You don't need like yeah. do you, do, for how many years as a consultant, when I was traveling, did I say, oh, I'm going to be in a hotel for five days. I should totally bring everything, these all seven, the these seven raspberry pies and a soldering iron and <laughs> like all the stuff. So two I, tablets <laughs> so I can. So while I'm done with work, I can hack on all this stuff. And do you know how many times I actually used it? Zero. Because uh, when you were done hacking the client you're like ah, i need to see <sighs> yep. mindless bed. tv please stare yeah. at the wall dinner thank I you need to I'm give my brain a rest yeah, yeah yeah sure yep. I, yeah, yeah because yeah. when you're on a client site you spend six to ten hours working very very hard to get it done in the time span that you've allocated mm-hmm. when we're home you know uh, in between calls i'm going to take 15 minutes i'm going to go use the bathroom hold a small baby you know get a cup of water whatever when you're on client site, you, you've got the you've got the client face on for for seven hours, ten hours, whatever it is. By the time you get back to the hotel, you're like, I am out of spoons. I am out of fucks. Please leave me the fuck alone. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm done. Yes. Yep. I think there was uh, and Josh, to your zero comment. I think there was one day uh, or one trip that we actually did use some of that stuff. Um, and specifically it was because Don Weber and I were working on our presentation for DEF CON on one of the fail panels on teledildonics. Mm. <laughs> and I think that's the only time that I ever used any of that stuff. 
I'm just disappointed, Larry, that you didn't do the presentation about five minutes before you were getting up on stage. I also disable I know. Bluetooth and I turn off all my Bluetooth devices. I mean, I might take them with me. I might take my noise canceling headset because it's hard to travel without noise canceling, you know, headphones. But I just turn it off, put it in my bag. Yep. Yep. Leave it in your hotel room if you're not going to use it while you're out right. before. But, you know, simple. You know, it's funny. I haven't been to DEF CON in four years uh, because I had my, my four-year-old was born July 4th and it was a little too close to, to fly, right? So we skipped that year. And the year after she was, she had, she got sick. So we were like, eh, maybe we won't go this year. And then COVID hit. Yep. And so, you know, now I've got a, a three week old. And so we're not going this year. And plus it's still COVID, let's be honest. And I, I by the way, everybody, please be safe. Mm. Dear God. You know, I, I don't care if the person next to you is not masking up, put a damn mask on and please be careful. All right. Um, I mean, is it high likely you're going to come back with COVID? Oh, it's a anyhow. pretty I mean, damn. We good saw that at, at RSA. I mean, there were a lot of people got. I mean, it's just the way it is. Yep, it's becoming more and more of a fact of life, and people yep. are, have a different risk risk profile for it now too, which Correct. is which is good and or bad. Um, and, and yeah, I just hope like whatever variants running yeah. around is is mild. Yeah, that's what we can yeah. hope. That's all non, we for non lethal now. and mild. Yep, agreed. agreed. Hey, I'm scheduled tomorrow for my second booster because I'm old. Yeah, yeah. baby. Mm. I should probably but see if I get mine. But, but every time I was ready to go get it, I got COVID. So. Yeah. <laughs> got your booster. Yeah. Well, I got my natural booster. Natural right? booster. Yep. And the nice thing is I get to take my four-year-old and she gets her first shot. So hey. you get vaccinated finally. Um, just one last thing on the, the DEFCON Black Hat thing. Like, are people really going to burn a zero day on you at a conference? I mean, if it's a burnable thing would be my counterpoint to that. I was listening to some other... It was Kevin Johnson, Tom Eston, the Shared Security Show. Yeah, you guys know they do a podcast. It's pretty good, actually. I do. I've been on. Um, yeah, I listened to that episode. Actually, <laughs> great job. Um, but you know, they were like, they were saying, "Wow, people are going to burn a zero day." But I'm like, "Do you need to burn it? Like, if you've got a Bluetooth zero day for something, like, is that like a burnable thing?" I mean, yeah. Maybe. I mean, yeah. But I mean, someone would have to detect it. Someone, I guess, would have to detect it. Someone have to be, you know, yeah. And there, there uh, is a risk level for detection, and that could be higher or lower depending on what the exploit is and the, the technology. Yep. Yeah, and and point. the ability to capture and and quite honestly, in many of the cases, even though we're security professionals, I would venture to guess that there are times when there are portions of our devices while we may be running the latest updates there are subcomponents that we cannot patch that are vulnerable like i think about bluetooth stacks like you go an android device you're limited the drivers for your bluetooth stack or whatever android gives you and they may be vulnerable to stuff that's three and four years old because the stack manufacturers haven't updated their software stack oh i am Fully aware of that so, uh, in, in my day job, talking about firmware supply right. chain stuff. So I mean, like device drivers. Burn a zero day? Mm -hmm. It's been out there for four years. It's not a zero day anymore. Right. I would I would say, but however. A lot of people are, are capturing traffic, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, or whatever <laughs> at DEF CON 2. So you might not want to put your zero day knowing that someone is going to go through those packet captures, you know, or radio traffic captures or whatnot, right? I guess they're still packets, but. And 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 arguably, I think for the most for most of the DEFCON attendees, 
the folks that would have a zero day would not be willing to burn it against you. Like, why would someone burn a zero day against me? Why? I mean, why would they risk 30 it? Thirty years ago. But why would they risk it at a? But why would they risk it at a conference? I mean, this isn't twenty years ago. Right. This is today. Right. If I got twenty years ago, they burn I got it. some old day, man. Like I'm selling it. I'm getting a bug bounty for yep. it. I'm, you know, hopefully not selling it to a hostile yeah, nation. 15, state. Fifteen, twenty years ago, you burn an old day because it was fun. There are legitimate places that you can sell in zero day exploit and there's bug bounties which you could get paid mm-hmm. for yep. so why why would you risk yeah. someone else getting a hold of it at, at a conference i'm not saying that someone wouldn't do that like don't go there going oh no like paul said no one's going to hack me at defcon not no, what i'm saying not what i'm saying yeah <laughs> but I, I, and i think about some of that like the folks that might be willing to that have that capability that have zero day why would someone specifically target me as the recipient mm. of that O'Day? What's it going to get? Larry, what's, Larry, it, what's it going to get? You are a huge celebrity, Larry. You have access to so many things and so much radio frequency gear, most of it obsolete in ancient basement. And <laughs> true, but it still works. <laughs> and it's in the basement because it's in a Faraday cage. Well, we're getting off track here. But do you see what I'm saying? Like, what is. What do I have access to that could potentially be worthy of, say... Iron uh, Man 3. Iron Man 3. You brushed someone off at a conference once. <laughs> Maybe. And now they're going to blow up your home. Maybe. Like, that's the... like What's that Iron Man 3? 2 or 3? I forget which now. Either way. You, you see what I'm saying? <laughs> that most casual folks that are at DEF CON are not the recipient in most cases of... Uh, because they're not a target. For, for somebody with that level of mm. no I get what you're saying attack. yeah yeah I mean but it could be an opportunistic sure attack as absolutely. well absolutely absolutely you know it, it, it's interesting too I was listening <laughs> to an interview with Maddie Stone and thanks Gus I appreciate <clears throat> it did he say which Iron Man I was no he, he'd uh, burn an O-Day on me oh I feel nice. I feel appreciated nice thank you Uh, (laughs) Maddie Stone, uh, security researcher for Google, was talking about how one of the positive things in our industry is that today, when we say, oh, like burn an O-Day or create a zero-day exploit, if you guys have noticed, and we'll cover in the news in the past few years especially, there's a lot of exploit chaining going on. Mm -hmm. You need more than one exploit, more Uh than one zero-day exploit to accomplish your goal. One is no longer enough. One gives you the initial foothold. You need zero-day exploit number two to overcome some protection that actually lets you run code or get access to something. We've seen that time and time again, especially on mobile devices. Uh, You know, we've seen it. Um, and in a lot of other exploit, I mean, we covered, I, I can't remember the top of my head, but in the past couple of weeks, we've covered ones where I'm like, oh, this was really cool. Like researchers did a great job doing this, but it's because they had to like, because <laughs> right. long gone are the days of like, oh, you got that service exposed to the internet. I've got a remote exploit pop. And now I'm root. I mean, that still happens, but not as often. I mean, I'm, well, I'm, now, now they're using the, uh, the chaining mediums and lows together. So that they, uh, so even if even if it's a known exploit, the way of using it and chaining it right. together makes it so that it's not really visible or it doesn't uh, not, not it doesn't rise to the top of the attention heap. 
Right. And and what was it? Uh, H.D. Moore and Val Smith talked about from low, from low mm-hmm. to pwned years ago at DEF CON <laughs> and Black Hat. And yes, that is totally a thing. I talk about that in my in my blog post, and something that greatly concerns me is that you've got Intel's management engine running on your system. Even if you run a Mac, Larry, mm-hmm. you have Intel's management unless, system. Unless I have an M1 or an M2. Uh, yeah, then you have. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what you have if you have an M1 or M2. To be honest with you, I can find out. But so you've got a management engine right running in your computer. And it's vulnerable to some type of attack. Mm -hmm. But an attacker has to be on your system with a certain privilege level. And that varies depending on what the exploit is, right? To to gain access to that, to be able to exploit that vulnerability. However, a component of Intel's management engine is active management technology or AMT, which makes your system over the network independent of the operating system which means if you sniff traffic through your operating system kernel, you're not going to see network traffic coming from your AMT because it's separate, but it's accessible over the network. AMT has a vulnerability, a remote uh, authentication bypass vulnerability. Uh, you combine those two together. I mean, you've got AMT code yep. running, which AMT code is running inside of management engine. You could combine those two. Yep, you got to chain, and you got uh, to chain the attacks. You got to have an attack to get onto the system, and then you got when you're on the system, you need to exploit the system. I see. Where, yeah, I see where you're going. Like, uh, I want to say one of the last ones that we talked about for. Um, remember back in the day with uh, Dave Maynard and Johnny Cash with their uh, bug on it was uh, a driver. On Apple. Yeah. It was a driver bug, mm-hmm. but they sent packets into the air. They got access to the kernel. Game over. The last round of, you know, sort of unauthenticated wireless bugs of the same sort of ilk were against Broadcom stuff in Apple. And this was like 2018. And they had to chain, I want to say, three distinct vulnerabilities in various chipsets to get to kernel level exploit. Insanity. Insanity. Well, the kernels have have garnered much better protection as well. No, that is perfect, but better protection. Yep. What else we got? Um, let's just go down the Spe- list. Speaking of those remote exploits, uh, uh, your story number two, the unauthenticated yeah. remote code execution and wide range of Draytech Vigor routers. When there's a buffer overflow in your lock-in CGI script, laws will ensue. <laughs> this is oh, my God. Like Seriously? The buffer overflow, Josh, was in the username and password fields. <laughs> in your... Like, I'm, uh, I'm laughing. The worst place I would have a hard time thinking of. Like, yeah. What? Uh, <clears throat> this comes from Trellix. <clears throat> a whole bunch of stuff that's vulnerable. And if you scroll down to technical details. Uh, oh, so this is another one. Uh, there will be an upcoming talk at Hexacon, Hexacon. in October. But they give a, a summary in a paragraph. I'll le- read a little bit. The web management interface of the vulnerable Dray Tech devices is affected by a buffer overflow on the login page, cgi-bin forward slash wlogin.cgi. An attacker may supply carefully crafted, I like carefully or specially crafted, username and or password as base64 encoded strings 
inside the fields AA and AB of the login page. For the post request. This would cause the buffer overflow to trigger due to a logic bug in the size verification of these encoded strings. Woohoo! And looking like some of it's... Hacking like it's 1999. It's looking like for the detection side that base64 encoded strings are expected to be found in those fields. But malformed base64 indicative of attack would have an abnormally high number of percent 3D or equal sign padding. Right. So it's looking like they're padding with an abnormally long number of equal signs. Nice. <laughs> that reminds me of the old web stuff, remember? Uh, yes, unfortunately. unfortunately. The, the incredibly long overflow for the for the initialization vectors? Mm-hmm. Not that you know anything about that, Larry. And, no, it's, all, it's, it's all good. Do you, do you still teach web cracking? I mean, very why little. Not? Very, very little. little. We yeah. do. We do. We spend a lot of time on that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, we spend about twenty minutes plus a very short lab um, in the the six day class. Yeah, because no one's. Re- I mean, <clears throat> there are ve- there are still folks using it. Um, mm-hmm. There, and, and there there's a story there. Um, but uh, there are still some folks using it. They have to use it for legacy purposes for some legacy gear. Uh, in enterprise, and yep, in enterprise. Um, classic story I give is a set of forklifts that have a built-in computer uh, <clears throat> that have Wi-Fi so that the forklift operators know where in the warehouse which box to pull off on the forklift mm-hmm. and load onto which truck. Um, it's been a couple of years since I've seen them, but some of those those computers were non-upgradable and they only had web-based hardware. Uh, and because it was a forklift, it wasn't a computer asset. It was a fixed asset, so it was amortized over 30 years. 25 to 30. Oh my God. Yep. Um, that also said, uh, we do teach WEP in the um, methods for doing the construction and how um, IV selection, faulty implementations of um, uh, uh, random number generators and so forth, and encryption uh, algorithms, um, as well as some of the methods for doing uh, checksums can be flawed. Um, across other protocols, like mm-hmm. protocols that we use today, nice. still ha- by understanding the basis of where web failed, you can understand where all these other protocols that we still use today fail. You mean use it as a learning experience? Yeah. And yeah, these are developers and security people. They just throw crap at the wall and see what sticks, right? Sometimes, sometimes. Yep. Oh, you know where I want to go next. Let's talk about Linux. I don't want to spend too much time on it. <laughs> Josh, Let's talk about Linux. Josh, do you use Linux for your daily driver? No, I don't actually. Why or why not? Uh, mostly because for the longest time I've been doing business and I have to have... Let's talk about business. I have to have 14 different uh, video conferencing applications from blue jeans to oh, go to market, go to meeting to whatever on my laptop and Linux didn't support a lot of those for the longest time. Mm. So I built up an infrastructure that's Windows based. And although I have Linux as a VM on this machine and because the framework laptops are great for VMs uh, and I have an, I have a NUC that's sitting there that's supposed to be, you know, I'm supposed to be using to use Linux on a, as, as desktop. And it's just like, I just don't. <laughs> Yeah, I one annoying thing, like hard limitations with running Linux as a desktop, is go to webinar. You can't be a panelist. <laughs> nope, can't be a panelist. So I mean, I 
I use Linux on all three of my computers that are my daily drivers, right? But I have a Surface Pro 3 <laughs> that runs Windows <laughs> for just those use cases. Yep. And just, you know, conferencing <coughs> software. Now, on Linux, though, uh, Teams, either the native client still sucks. Like, Microsoft still can't get that right on Linux. They can't get it right on Windows. They can't get it right on Windows either. So, yeah, it's, I, that's not a Linux thing, started. right? But I you started the fact that Teams has to be run in incognito tabs if you have multiple Teams accounts, because Microsoft can't figure out that people might actually work for more than one right. company or have yeah. an account in more than one place. You can't set up multiple profiles in Edge to tie to your Microsoft accounts. No, it doesn't. Does it not support the enterprise level accounts? No. Only if you've got a regular Microsoft account. What do they call that? A Microsoft. No, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like two- Chrome. Like Chrome. I've got probably six different profiles in Chrome and each of those profiles are tied to either a G Suite or Gmail account. And it's, oh, it's built, Chrome profiles. Yeah. Chrome profiles. Yeah, Chrome profiles. Right. Right, right, right. No, I can set up a different Chrome profile for every Teams account. Mm-hmm. Or I can use incognito tabs for every Teams account. But it's just a pain in the ass. Yeah. But also I run Teams on Microsoft Edge on Linux. And that's how I do all my Teams calls. And that works the best. And on Linux, Skype and Zoom and Riverside all work fine. Riverside, we can talk about some of the issues. Mm-hmm. OBS virtual camera and Riverside don't get along so far. Yeah, well, they do. They work fine in Windows. Oh, okay. I was going to ask that. That was my question. <laughs> I had not tested it in Windows. It works fine in Windows. The one thing is you've got to be careful because with Riverside, sometimes the sync of the audio and the video mm-hmm. will get out of sync. You've got to be really careful to tweak that correctly. Yep. There's a couple settings you can use. I had to call Riverside and scream bloody murder. And they're like, oh, here, here's what you need to do. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, thank you. There's actually a delay in OBS you can set so that it works properly. Oh, Larry, you do not use Linux for your I, daily I driver. I do not. Your Mac? I am still, I'm Mac? still a Mac daily driver. Um, again, I do have both Windows physical systems. I have Linux physical systems. Mm-hmm. And I have both virtualized mm-hmm. because I use the right tool for the right job. And for the most part, it's going to be Mac or uh, Linux for me. And part of my reason why I don't do Linux on the desktop, <clears throat> as I tried it, mm-hmm. and I, it's been a number of years since I've tried it. When Wait, I was... Give me an, how many number, like ballpark number of years. Four. I think it's gotten a lot better in probably, four years. Probably, yeah, probably. Yeah, but yeah. when it was four years ago, it was like, this is the year of Linux on the desktop. And I really didn't want to pay the Apple tax again. Mm-hmm. And at the time, all of the apps that I was using on a day-to-day basis... Were all Mac. Well, no, they weren't all Mac. They were... Not Linux. Functional equivalents <laughs> on Linux. And they, like, a Twitter client. Oh, Twitter client, forget it. They uh, suck on on uh, Linux or Twitter clients are horrible. It, let's put it this way: every app that I needed to use mm-hmm. under Linux, all of them sucked. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used Evernote. There <laughs> is there is no, there is no native Evernote client for Linux. There's one that some guy yep. in a you know in yeah, his apartment yeah. in New York wrote, and there's a lot of note it worked. There's a lot of note apps. Uh, I should probably look at Notion. Web based. Notion's great. Yeah, Notion's, Notion's fantastic. Good. I'm actually looking, I'm waiting, the, the next iPad Pro should have the M2 chip in it. Mm-hmm. And I'm honestly thinking of going, like, for travel, Windows laptop and iPad Pro. Um, and then for home, iPad Pro so I can use, because Mac will run all those different clients and everything else, no no problem. Mm-hmm. And the iPad really well for that. 
and then have a uh, a Linux desktop and a Windows desktop for whatever else I need to do on a power power level. Now, using one, an iPad Pro as a daily driver for for business applications, mm-hmm. it's actually doable. Yeah, RSS reader was one I had to adjust to because yep. the RSS readers that were on Mac Way were better. awesome. Way better. Awesome. When I got to Linux, Feedly, it's a web, it's all browser, but cloud based. Yeah, and Feedly's awesome. I mean, now Feedly and, is Feedly and, is really awesome. And admittedly, um, at the time, I was also very realist, resistant to web based apps. Yeah, because like for me, it's now, like if you're Linux, want, you got to get comfortable with some web based apps. I want to yeah. open a. I don't want right. to have a browser open for every app, or I don't want to have a oh, browser tab for every open app. Because I have a browser. And browser tabs for every app, <laughs> right? And and that that for me that drives me nuts um, because I already I'm like Tyler lately that I have enough browser tabs open that yeah like I have to go and close stuff. Yeah, I think if you're Linux daily driver, like I have been for four plus years, probably yeah. uh, I have browsers that are specific to apps. Like I said, Edge is for Teams, right? Yep. I use oh, yeah. Firefox largely for like debugging and uh, when I use Burp Suite and all that stuff, I tie it to Firefox because that seems to work work really well. Uh, Chrome for browsing, which I know isn't like is like an open source no no, but Chrome works best out of all the browsers. But you also got to make sure you've got enough CPU <laughs> you can actually run Chrome. And the crazy the crazy part is I switched to Chrome years ago because Firefox was becoming so much of a memory hog, memory and CPU. Yeah. Hog. But I think that's the yeah, other. That's yeah. Look, I'm in. There's an, the reason we're talking about this. There's an article that I link to in here. Good lord, uh, main Linux problems on the desktop. I mean, it's there's got to be at least twenty pages. I'll I'll put it so people can. Now you're really going to be distracted uh, in Discord. Um, but I mean, basically, you can su- summarize this as every nitpicky thing about Linux that someone doesn't like and why you shouldn't use Linux as your daily driver. But yep. one of the counterpoints, and look, I'm not going to say Linux is perfect, right? I just think I, I I hate Windows and Mac more. <laughs> you know, oh, I mean, I, I love Linux, but like I, I get frustrated with Linux. Mm-hmm. It's the lesser of the three evils in my opinion, mm. right? And when, when you get there, but I also think some of the things are a lot of people when they run Linux, they're like, oh, it should run like leaner so I can run it on older, less powerful hardware. Yeah, no, not and anymore. And I think we need to dispel that yeah, myth that, and that notion to, that, you, like, no. That like, used to be the case. Not anymore. You want to run Linux on really fast hardware if you want a good daily driver Linux experience. Don't go buying your three-year-old Lenovo ThinkPad thinking you're going to have an awesome desktop. You're going to have a desktop experience, but it's not going to be what it's, it should yeah, be. No. Yeah, Agreed. modern hardware, if, especially if you're going to use Linux. Yeah, as your I mean, daily I mean that used to that used to be the thing that you could run Linux yeah. on your older crap, and you and still it, can. And, I mean, and it would can. be a great yeah. experience. Not so much anymore, and this is totally what what I agree on. W- one of the things that uh, when I was reading through this art, going through this um, article, is that to me, much of the stuff that I'm seeing that the author is nitpicking on is along the lines of the stuff that an average consumer that walks into Best Buy to buy a laptop would expect to work. Like, you know, my wife, if I needed to go get a laptop, she should be able to go into Best Buy, buy a laptop, boot up Windows, 
and be able to install a couple of apps that she use uh, and work and maybe even install Steam and do some uh, do some gaming while she's at it. Yeah, and I mean, you can do that with Linux, but you know, you might have to go to the command line to make some things work. And exactly, that, 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 and that one or twelve games on Steam might not be supported on Linux. So there's that. You can get Steam on Linux, but, but the point. Yeah. But the point, and then you have to be fucking with Alsa Audio and everything else. Mm-hmm. And well, Pipewire has made some and, inroads, and, 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 and he you, talks about Pipewire and says it doesn't suck as bad as Pulse Audio. It sucks less, Josh. And these, and you guys are all adding to you know the prosecution rests. Like, yes. Why should my yes. wife have to go tune her x.org config to play Stray on oh, Steam? Oh, no, no, no. That was one of my things. <laughs> Do not run X. Like, X was great when you had a Sun Microsystems workstation. <laughs> but you see what I'm getting But you like, see what I'm getting at. Wayland why is, does my Wayland, wife need to know this? <laughs> Wayland is, is way... Well, because I think it, it's still it's still evolving. Like, you even said, like, four years ago. Like, in four years, yeah. like it's, it's come... A long way where distros are including some of this stuff by default still Agreed. kind of falling behind like pipewire should be the default on i would guess in the next two years or so pipewire is going to be the default right wayland already is the default on many distributions so there's a lot of legacy crud still that linux kind of picked up from old school unix that still today we're we're still trying to mm-hmm. shed and, and it has gotten better we do have an open source nvidia driver now Albeit it doesn't support all of the features because there's still subsystems where in, uh, NVIDIA won't release some of the firmware, like power management, as the article mentions. But I think we're, we're making great inroads. All that has nothing to do with the year the Linux desktop. Yeah. The, the Linux desktop falls down because there's like 8 million ways to package and install your app on Linux. <laughs> that is why. Right? You've got two major uh, distribution systems for packages right that come with it you've got apt and uh the red hat you know package manager rpm based yep. systems and you've got snap yep. and you've got flat pack and i'm missing some other ones well you can always install from source you've got an app image um uh-huh. yep. that app you image. can run yep so like that is why there's really i mean the major reason there is on the application side right a lot of this old driver and other stuff sure is a thing um, but I, I think it's I think it's on the app side. I, I and I also think, you know the article doesn't talk about the plus sides either, right? Like I think I was saying in chat earlier, Larry, it, the beauty of Linux is not necessarily that it should appeal to the masses for usage on a desktop. The beauty of Linux is if it doesn't work or you get something that doesn't work you have the freedom and the ability to go make it work. Now, that may mean you have to write your own friggin' yeah. driver for it, right? Yep. But the point is you can right. if you want to do that. Now, and, and not every Linux person does that for everything because that's all we'd be doing all yep. day long. But for those certain use cases, yeah, you can get a team together. You can help support an open source project and get and get that stuff working. Right. That's the freedom. Yeah, I don't want to sound like a zealot, but like... That that's kind of the point. Are you going to do that in every single case? Am I going to go run a driver for that weird audio device? Prob- probably no. not. Right. Yeah, I'm going to go get a different audio device that works with Linux. I'm going to put the one that I want to use on my Windows laptop. Right. And again, it's not for the masses. Yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. not. Definitely not. And and I think that's that comes to the you know Linux to, for the desktop for prime time. They're like it's not. Right. It's still not ready for the masses. But I I, think, t- I, think I totally agree that. The, I, the, it, the nerdiest of the nerds like uh, uh, us that we can spend and we may want to spend the time 
doing all of that type of stuff. Like, yeah. I think back to the day when um, you could go install um, Ubuntu or Red Hat, but all of my nerdy friends that didn't have kids were, oh my God, were Gentoo. installing Gentoo. Oh, that's because they could take two days to go through the twenty-eight page install documentation. Like, <laughs> like I get it. Actually, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a contrarian view, and I'm gonna tell you that it is Linux is perfectly fine as a desktop, as long as your expectations are properly set up front. Agreed. My my wife gave her mom, my mother-in-law, a Linux laptop that was very carefully locked down mm -hmm. to give her exactly what she needed to do, which is mostly web-based stuff and a few different applications that she that she had instruction on and has used this thing for years now, very, very successfully, okay? Uh, <clears throat> but unless you're really locking out your use case or, 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 or working out your use case and then locking out features that aren't needed, it's, it's not right. I will say that there is one variant of Linux that is absolutely perfect for anybody's desktop use, practically anybody except power users. Is that Gentoo? And that's Chromium. <laughs> Chromium. <laughs> Chromium, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you can get Chromium for other hardware. We talked about that a couple yep. weeks ago. Was it two weeks ago? Yep. Mm. Yep. Yeah, so in some sense, but again, that's a locked down use case. Mm. Yep. That's where it's browser focused, uh, G Suite focused. It's 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 very focused on uh, using it as a, as a terminal effectively to the cloud. And in that sense, it's brilliant, yep. absolutely brilliant. And you can turn old, you know, this goes back to the, you can use older hardware for it because you can, yep. okay? And that's actually going back in some ways to Linux roots better than Linux does. Yeah, or you can use Linux Mint and be stuck with X, and, <laughs> you know. All right, good point. And I like uh, Linux. So. <laughs> yeah. All right, what else we got? What else we got? Um, Did you see the thing about OCSF? Brand new article? No. Like, did, do we need to get your tissue? Excuse you? OCSF? Yeah. They're actually coming. Here it is. Hang on. A standard to monitor, security standard to monitor hacking attempts. I'll throw it in the Slack. You, did you not put this one in the show notes? All right, hold on. I just, it literally found it 10 minutes ago. Okay. I'll, I'll read that uh, so one all of us are ready prepared to read about it. Yeah. Uh, were you guys prepared for the scientists hid the encryption key for the Wizard of Oz in text in plastic molecules? The what now? The encryption key for the wizard? I'm, I'm not so, following you. Scientists from the University of Texas, Austin, sent a letter to colleagues in Massachusetts with a secret message. Okay. An encryption key to unlock the text file of the classic novel, The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. A twist, the encryption key was hidden in a special ink laced with polymers. Oh. It described their work in a recent paper. It's really interesting. Inter okay, see, like, I'm, I wasn't following where the Wizard of Oz thing came from, but no, it was a text file of the Wizard of Oz. Yes, a molecular encryption key was embedded in ink of a letter which was mailed and analyzed to decrypt a file. Right, so they encrypted the text of the Wizard of Oz. Yep. Then they they hand wrote. Um, a, there's a picture of it in the article. They hand wrote a letter, and the encryption key was embedded in the ink inside of that that letter. The encryption key or the decryption? I'm sorry, key? the decryption key. Okay, so yeah. it would be would it be? Uh, it was a symmetric key. A symmetric, symmetric key. key. Okay. Symmetric yeah. key. They they encoded it in DNA, I think. Yeah. Sequence, they, uh, sequence defined polymers. Hmm. 
which is effectively sort of a DNA. Mm -hmm. Um, You're you're using a very limited set of of, uh, codons, of of, of primitives, effectively, and then you're putting it into a strand, uh, a polymer strand, and then that's the key. And it's basically, you know, the equivalent of 010001, blah, blah, blah. You get the idea. They jumbled all the polymers together and used a depolymerization in liquid chromatography mass spectrometry to decode the original structure and encryption key. So nerdy. Oh my gosh. Like the nerdiest reading I've done. Well, maybe not. Pretty close. Top five. Like <laughs> all week. Like <laughs> this is like screams of future technology yeah. of uh, what is it? The Gilded Age um, and, and some of those types of things. So uh, like that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So I got down a, uh, a very interesting uh, rabbit hole this afternoon when I found this this article. <clears throat> um, and it was uh, my story number three, which totally begs to some firmware and some backdoors and some of those types of things. Uh, and that 20 years late, 28 years later, um, the video game for Nintendo, Super Punch-Out! Uh, not Mike Tyson's Punch-Out? Not Mike Tyson's. The, the, uh, the follow-on to that. Oh, okay. The Super Punch-Out had a secret two-player mode that went undiscovered for 28 years. And the only reason... Wait, you couldn't play player to player? No, you couldn't. And more importantly, with two-player mode, you could pick which uh, fighters you were fighting against each other. And what, they they coded that in and then then didn't... They coded it in. Um, it was left for debug and or potential uh, later releases mm-hmm. to enable enhanced functionality, and it never got it never made it. But by dumping the ROMs and folks doing some reverse engineering of the ROMs, mm-hmm. they discovered the key sequences on how to enable it, mm. and uh, it's still there. And in fact, um, it, it was proven to work with the code from Nintendo cartridge. The subsequent dumps that are playable on MAME, the multiple arcade machine yeah. emulator, mm-hmm. as well as the port to uh, the Nintendo Switch. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, you can enable it on the Switch? Yes. That's cool. <laughs> that was my understanding of the article. Yes. Yes. Which then, when oh, we. Which right. We, super Punch Out was Super NES. Right. Right. As opposed to NES. Which didn't have the Mike, Mike Tyson sing theming you know, and licensing. One thing I didn't include in my blog post, and you're going to laugh because I'm going to reference my blog post again, but I didn't include in there is original Intel ME processors were ARC processors, and the company that made them also made the processor for Super NES, and mm. there was some shared kind of lineage there. Interesting. Which is really interesting. So uh, I ended up down a rabbit hole about some of those. Uh, those things in the game. And I thought that was pretty fascinating that, you know, that back door, as it were, as simple as it was, was left undiscovered for 28 years in, in those ROMs. And somebody finally figured it out by disassembling it. Okay. And, I'm, I'm going to go slightly off topic. Let me ask you a question. How long do you think it's going to be before we have Easter eggs, undiscovered functionality, like this type of thing that will lie dormant for 20 30 40 50 years i i I would argue that this is going to happen uh because as part of my little rabbit hole that i went this rabbit warren that i went down uh that article linked to another article uh about a an easter egg being hidden in atari's starship one arcade cabinet 
in which using wait, what? Yeah, I, that's that's wait. When is that from? Uh, 1977. Oh my god! So there was an Easter egg in the Atari Starship One, um, in which the developers included a certain set of uh, keystrokes, as it were. Um, so that the developers could display their names because that was not something that Atari did with the credits and so forth. Um, they just said it's it's theirs. Um, they figured out how to reverse engineer um, the ROMs in which they had to drop in a quarter while holding two buttons, then release them and slam the game's slow control lever. So it was a pretty complex com set of actions to trigger this Easter egg, which I liked your hand motions when you went through that. Which, which, you, did, you did like a little yeah. karate, like what? Yeah. So they, <laughs> so part of the reason why they confirmed that it exists is because they had dumped ROMs, which they used with Mame to use a set of keystrokes mm -hmm. through the Mame XML config, so they could basically press one button to do all of those things for them and confirm that it was still there in the ROM, and it would um, put up the uh, high ROM on the screen and give you ten free lives. Oh my god! And with the interview for this, and and Josh, you say this. How long do you think it's going to take for some of these things to show up? Like they were touting that the um, uh, the messages here were that this was arguably the first discovered Easter egg in arcade stuff uh, from 1977. Okay. Okay. Wait. 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 Discovered. Discovered. We're now doing archaeology <laughs> of video games. Yes. And and the, the 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 discoverer said more than 100 arcade video game systems were released before Starship 1. Maybe somewhere deep inside of one of them lies an even older Easter egg waiting to be discovered. I think these people that are finding all these Easter eggs need to find flaws in software and firmware too because <laughs> well, it's not all they, that technically they are yeah it's not all that dissimilar like uh the hat bit in intel me the microprocessor decryption yep a lot of that hinged Microco on microcode, microcode i'm yep. sorry decryption right uh hinged upon finding some type of uh disabled bit as with hap in intel me or finding some debugging process in the microcode and a lot of vulnerabilities have uh, or exploits have resulted from the researchers going, oh, I got to this because I found this like basically hidden, not so hidden functionality that enables some kind of debug mode, which is kind of like an Easter egg in a video game. Very similar. Yep. Mr. Lee Neely has joined us. Lee, welcome. Whoa. Hey, good to be here. And I, I don't think my showing up counts as an Easter egg. Mm -hmm. um, we unlocked the secret. No, but it codes. is a Christmas present, sir. It is a good surprise. There we go. I'll take that. Yeah, oh. I think, but, you know, it's interesting. I, I think there are some parallels there of, you know, discovering these Easter eggs and hidden functionality, which is essentially the same type of hidden functionality that's found by bug hunters. Yep. Hidden Wait, functionality. So when, when, will the first, when will the first PhD thesis be written on compute archaeology? Hmm. <laughs> I, You're uh, a computer archaeologist. I I pose that what isn't Jason Scott already one of those? Mm, yeah, I think you're right. Okay, good point. He yeah. is. We need to grab Jason and get him on the show. He was on many years yeah. ago. many years ago. Many years ago. Have him back. Well, yeah, I'd love to hear how things are going with archive.org and some of that type of stuff. I 
I, I used to be friends with him on Twitter, Facebook, something of the like, and used to see all of his interesting posts, but I haven't seen anything in a really long time. So. Oh, uh, something, let, let's switch to, I don't want to delve back into firmware just yet because we the, do have a couple stories on that. I want to take a, but beer me first. Yeah, you need a beer. And we can talk about scammers sent an Uber to an elderly lady's house to take her to the bank as part of a scam. Oh, man. I mean, it's just it's wrong. Pretty, it's pretty innovative. Uh, good news, though, she didn't go. Good. She went to the neighbors. And the neighbors like, ah, that that sounds like a scam. Like you're being figured out she's being scammed. So good neighbors. Good neighbors. Yeah. Basically, this was a part of a scam and it was part of a Best Buy Geek Squad thing. And this lady was getting a new dishwasher or something like that. So it <laughs> fit you know, what was happening in her life at the time. And they were like, oh, we want to send you a credit for the install. I think is how it, the ruse worked. And so they sent her $160, which fit like the reimbursement for the installation fee or whatever. But then they were like, oh, by the way, sorry, we sent you $160,000 instead. Uh, oh, uh -huh. And we're going to send you instruction. They had took over her screen and stuff like that. Uh, it's a, you need to transfer that money back to us. We're going to get in trouble. And so, you know, you, we're going to send you to the bank with the wiring instructions so you can wire us that $160,000 back. Uh, and she's like, well, I don't drive. And then they're like, oh, an Uber's on the, on its way to come pick you up. That's yeah, just... All right, Paul, where's the opener? Where did it disappear to? Oh, I have it. Sorry. There you go. I was hogging it. You beer man without an opener? You animal. Mm-hmm. It's on oh. my keys in the other room. So yeah, that's that was the story. I, so I, I mean, goodly. I was going to say they're so you know the elders. You got you got two things. You got they're leveraging. One is the fact that they're not as clearly thinking, and the other is they're not as familiar with technology, and so they're more likely to believe what somebody tells them. They're lucky she didn't get in that Uber. Very lucky. You would hope someone at the bank would have. Who knows. Yeah, when they start telling the story. Yeah. The fact uh, that at gift card sections at Costco and at Target and at Apple and all those places have signs that say, if somebody's asking you to buy these cards for them, please speak to management. Right. Is just a horrible example that, that it's working. Hi yeah. there. The, uh, the one that Good. seems... I'm... Oh, highly. You talking to somebody? <laughs> you forgot to mute. Um the uh, the one that's it's kind of terrifying to me thinking about this attack is that in order for the scammer to start that conversation, they had to have enough information to know that this woman just had a dishwasher installed. Yeah. How much the installation? I don't know if they knew was. that or not, or if they were just spraying and praying, or, or uh, yeah. But if they did, they one they they had the information up front. They knew where she lived to send the Uber, or they did an amazing job social engineering the information out of her. Right. I think it was probably a spray and pray probably. attack, and they just got lucky and happened to get someone that had ordered an appliance from from Best Buy. Could be. That's typically how it goes. Could be. I mean, you, you increase your chances if you're able to scrape an email list from Best Buy or something like that, right? For sure. Or buy lists, um, you know, on the dark web. Yep, that indicates that these email addresses are associated with Best Buy accounts or whatever, right? 
which is interesting when we think about data breaches and such like i think we tend to assign a lower severity to go oh like this place had a breach and it was just email addresses and names and that's not a big deal because they didn't get people's passwords but you know now you can go and you can totally go get your stuff removed from like have i been pwned and a lot of these other sites but now i can go to have i been pwned i can plug in larry's email address and it's going to show me every breach that larry was associated with mm-hmm. and i go oh like you had an account there and you had an account there. Now I can go look in those places, maybe see what you posted and, and kind of use that as pieces of information. But you can send requests to most of these places, at least the legitimate and semi-legitimate ones. you got a good chance of getting your stuff removed from it. Um, and, and some of them you even have the option, like the don't display it publicly, but leave my information in there. So maybe I can still have an account and retrieve it, but not just anyone can, which is one level or like remove it entirely. So who knows? It was most likely a spray and pray though. Yes. Every day there's different ones. Every day it's spray and pray. Every day it's targeted. Every day it's, there's just, there's so much money in the cybercrime world that they're using every possible tactic they can to get more and more money. I mean, it's, it's, it's basically, it's the spammers, but doing straight up crime now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting how 35,000 repositories are reportedly infected from, I believe this was GitLab, my story number 22. Um, <laughs> Oh, it was uh, so a widespread malware attack on GitHub, and again, this came from Twitter. Um, I, I don't have much information other than you know, obviously, what was posted on Twitter. Uh, they say over thirty-five thousand repositories, um, projects like Crypto Golang. Uh, it's adding npm scripts, Docker images, and install docs. And is, it, it, I, I guess, I'm less interested in this specific attack but more interested in the prevalence and popularity of this style attack today where the attackers are going after the developers and not just the developers as people but their accounts and credentials that have access to the source code repositories whether that's github whether that's gitlab wherever the source Mm -hmm. code is living whether that's pypy whatever it is they're going after these projects to essentially conduct what we call today as a supply chain attack, right? But put something in this source code uh, that conducts further attacks. And my fear is, I don't know if it's so much a fear, but a reality too, is that if you're a developer and you're developing free and, and or open source code, your security level now is going to have to increase. Hence my joke about 27-factor authentication. There's already been efforts from major open-source projects. I think, was it, did I talk about PyPy a couple of weeks ago? Yes. I don't know if you're, yeah, PyPy a couple of weeks ago, right? Like forcing multi-factor authentication. Yep. Mm-hmm. To me, that's just the first step. Like now you're going to have to sign all of your commits. Now you're going to have yep. to sign all of your your packages. And then there's, right. there's maintenance that comes all of that, not just from the developer, but all of us as well. This mm-hmm. is the encompassing supply chain that I speak about, not just with respect to firmware. I mean, I talk about it in that context, 
But it's totally in this context too, because the responsibility, and in order to uh, have this level of security, there has to be people who are following the process for doing the code signing of the commits, doing the code signing for the actual code, right? So those secrets have to be protected. The developers uh, have to abide by certain policies in order to do that. But also, someone has to find the vulnerability and or bad thing that was signed, right? Or bad thing and then realize it was signed. So that's right. another part of the supply chain, if you will. And then someone has to take actions to go revoke that, which is another part. <laughs> yep. They have to push out that revocation somewhere. But then mm-hmm. we as users have to pay attention to that revocation and actually apply that revocation process, right? This could be an app oh, package, like, like, so package, right? You're right. so cute. You expect people to actually listen to revocation lists? Yes. Aww. This is what I'm getting at, Josh. <laughs> you got, this is a whole, oh, this is a shared, can we call it a shared supply chain responsibility model that I'm referencing here? Because it's, mm-hmm. it's not just it's with firmware, looking. it's not just with specific types of software, right? It's with operating system packages, we talked about it in the context of secure boot in the next segment. We talk about it in the context of firmware. We talk about it in the context of apt, PyPy, NPM, whatever the case may be. It could be checksums. It could be code signing. There's a process that involves multiple parties being responsible and taking actions in order for the end result to be that the world is a more secure place. And I don't think that's Do always you happening. Expect organizations to take responsibility and put forth time, effort, skull sweat, and cash skull sweat. when nobody is actually mandating with any sanction that matters that Correct. they do so. Correct. He's got a comment in here. I can see him. I can see him chomping at the bit. So, so the, what I'm, what I'm actually in a couple of different uh, responses here. One is I ran across an article earlier this week about GitHub is looking at, uh, partnering with SigStore as a signature signing uh, uh, so that you can sign all that stuff using their services so you don't necessarily have to stand up a service but I I coming part of I keep coming back to where Josh and 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 Paul are is like you got to understand the assurance of that signature show it sure it's signed code but is right. it my own signature how how genuine is it oh are you checking to see that the people signing the code are the only ones authorized to sign it. If I sign Josh's code and you're just checking for a valid signature, are we good to go here? Um, yep. And how do we maintain a list of who's uh, allowed to sign which code? Like when we're talking open source projects, you know, potentially yeah. anybody could do a pull request and all those types of things. Yeah. I mean, well, because typically there should, well, I mean, in some models, there's a certificate manager of that process and typically like in microsoft's case for uefi secure boot they're validating um that you can manage your key effectively not necessarily that the code that's being signed doesn't have any vulnerabilities (laughs) and i'm not exactly sure what that process is but I'd venture to guess that it's very similar from like a third-party risk assessment. Like they mm. have to complete a questionnaire that's like who along the lines of what you guys are saying, right? Who creates the key? 
how is the access to the key controlled, managed, and logged? And what if you, you know, the whole question about key management in that case, not necessarily depth in depth thing of like, how secure are you as an organization? Like where this key lives, like what's your security practices? Um, well, mm-hmm. you have, do you have vulnerabilities in, in your code that could make all of that point moot? How deep is that verification going? Yeah. Don't worry. S-bomb will make it all better. Well, I mean, S-bomb is, is it's your point. Is it but a component to all of this, right? Right. It's one piece. Well, like, no, no. Think there... of S-bombs as the same thing as a certificate in a certain way. <clears throat> An S-bomb is a declaration of the componentry of your software. A certificate. How do, you know, how do you know what software is on your system if it hasn't been signed and you haven't verified the signature of it? Right, but that's what it's supposed to go along with. Okay. And that's kind of the point. If I have a package that is signed and verified and everything else, then the S-bomb that comes along with it should be, at the very least, vaguely correct. And that S-bomb gives you the, the components that are inside of that signed, sealed, and delivered package. <clears throat> so then those components, I can check for vulnerabilities and everything else. If I have a revocation list, it should revoke in my system, in my S-bombs, in my everything. These systems yeah. are supposed to work together. Well, but what's just a flat, I mean, that doesn't mean your software doesn't work. I mean, in Secure Boot's <clears throat> case, it's specific. You'll hear Mickey and Jesse talk about that, right? But like, yeah. you know, the other, I guess the other part of my observation is the action. Like, okay, that software signature doesn't check out anymore or it's, you know, signature now or hash tells me that it's a vulnerable package. Okay, now now what? What am I, what am I supposed to do about that depending on where it is and how it interoperates with everything else? Does that mean I stop using that device today because its package didn't check out? Or is that just because it updated and the signature changed but it's a valid update? Because if it's a patch and it's a valid update, how do you verify that? I have to redo the whole process all over again. But it is very... on top of all of that, you've also got point in time. I mean, mm-hmm. the S-bomb is only good. For, what's the half-life of an S-bomb going to be on an actively developed product? Or, um, you know, how long, how long are those signatures good for? I mean, they just represent today's information. You come by a week later is it still good it, 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 it i don't know this is the part where pki gets complicated particularly digital well, yeah, signatures because you have to you have to sign the like in secure boot the db and the dbx is signed right you're making mm-hmm. jesse talk about that so you can't just go yeah. updating your your dbx like that update has to be signed by someone to maintain the the chain of trust What's interesting that I think of what, what you're hinting at, Lee, is that we use a similar kind of process for S-bomb type uh, updates, yeah. which is interesting, which you wouldn't necessarily want to like halt everything, but it's more of a notification that now there's new software or old software that has been revoked or new software that has been implemented and you want to know if it's vulnerable or not. Oh. Or two next, sir. So there was one story that you had, Paul, that I didn't catch and I think is going to be, I personally think is going to be fascinating. Is your story number 15. Emergency alert system flaws could let attackers transmit fake messages. 
the National EAS Emergency Alert System. You know, mm-hmm. Those annoying noises Wait. that come on and yeah. Did that already happen with Hawaii? Uh, maybe. Oh, the what do we remember about scared. that event, Josh? In Hawaii. What's that? What do we remember about the event that happened in Hawaii? Ballistic missiles inbound now. This no, no, is not no. a drill. The, the gentleman on the screen making the announcement with his password on a yellow sticky on the monitor behind him. Oh, I forgot that part. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Is that one of my... Oh, I forgot, yeah, to, I forgot to write security's that Security's hard. Um, yep. So the big one here is uh, FEMA Cyber... Uh, sorry. Uh, FEMA announced with a partnership with Cyber... Uh, and security researcher Ken Pyle, um, that there's some critical security vulner- vulnerabilities in the emergency alert system encoder and decoder devices, which, mm-hmm. if left unpatched, could allow an adversary to issue fraudulent alerts over TV, radio, and cable networks for the U.S. public warning system. Interesting. Uh, and it's expected to be publicized as a proof of concept at the DEF CON conference to be held in Las Vegas next week. So, like, now. Mm-hmm. <sighs> like, well, no, no. Tomorrow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, now. <clears throat> like, this has potential for... I, I, I'm going to say shenanigans when I really mean widespread panic. Should folks not know about this? That it's even a possibility. And then, of course, <clears throat> if you start telling folks, you know, on the national news that, hey, the EAS system might be hacked... And uh, you might see fake messages if folks don't patch their shit. Guess what they're going to lose all confidence in when something actually does? Oh, that's probably just a hack. Mm. Hmm. That's interesting. I'm curious the details of this talk now. Me too. Because <laughs> you're like, is it is it a <clears throat> network management thing? Is it a radio frequency thing? Is it like yep. a I, weird I, protocol thing? Uh, so... Is it authentication bypass? Uh, I would argue. So that said, I'd be disappointed if it was authentication bypass. I would argue it's probably along the lines of authentication bypass or hard coded credentials, uh, because uh, the in the article it says to mitigate the vulnerability, relevant participants are recommended to update the EAS devices to the latest software version, secure them with a firewall, and monitor and audit review uh, audit review logs for signs of unauthorized access. Mm-hmm. Piece of cake. Yeah. Like Yeah, well then you wonder what the process is for updating testing yeah. and updating these systems, right? Yeah. And if there's redundant and I remember seeing a version of this that some of these patches are only recent or the patches are available, but there was a couple of years where the flaws were out there, but there were no patches. Nobody was working on it. Um yeah. the patches are out. The announcement came a, a little bit ago, but still those folks haven't updated their systems. And now it's going to be out at DEF CON in the IoT village. Um, that could be a cool thing to check out. Uh-huh. More importantly, where do I find one of these devices on the used market so I can play mm-hmm. with one? <laughs> That'd be fun. Oh, that's a really good question. It's yeah. kind of fun to have um, your own emergency alert system in your house. Yeah, like, like you, you, I would you love one for one of the old analog television type deals because like that's been a thing that i've been looking for this summer at like yard sales because i have one that's that's vintage and i want to sort of keep it pristine but i'd love to be able to create my own little transmitter to 
connect to an old school like mm-hmm. vintage 1970s black and white you know 13 inch or 10 inch or 8 inch tv just to like do old analog old school television hackery mm-hmm. and this would be one of those things that'd be fun to connect to that old school television hackery stuff so are we are we getting to the point where like patch tuesday zero day being exploited in the wild from microsoft isn't really news we have we are we at that point i I think so i mean i think we were at that point probably a few years ago (laughs) 10 years no not maybe not 10 years ago i probably is 10 years ago um but every once in a while it comes up on a patch tuesday maybe every couple of years that it's like a big big Mm. fucking deal is this one of those where it's a bfd uh i don't know microsoft's calling this dog walk um gives the attackers the ability to use the ms DT protocol through a URL contained in a document. Um, yeah, yeah. I tried. To, I tried to look at the dog walk thing that you had listed in yeah. the show notes, and the page comes up. The, the site cannot be reached. Uh, is that the dark reading? I'm on the dark no, reading. No, uh, it um, was the uh, my story number thirteen. Re- the wreckfoot.com one. Oh, I put a few in there. Oh, maybe. Hold on. Yeah, the wreck. I, th- I wonder if your URL record, was wrong. Yeah, the record, the, the URL got munged. Yep. Okay. Yep. The Wreckfoot. There's a, there, I don't know. It's www.therecordwreckfoot.com. Yeah. It Rec- must oh, be. Recorded Future? Yeah. Wreckfoot. Wreckfoot. They, they munged a URL in their RSS feed or something. Oh. Yeah. I can't find it on, so the record had an article on it, but that link is broken. Pay hey, no attention to my story mm-hmm. number 10. Uh, but my stories number 12 and 13 do actually work. Okay. Probably 13 is, I would guess, the yep. the better of the two from Dark well, Reading. Yeah, so I mean... Just happens. Dog Walk was patched in the August patch cycle. Yes. Dog Walk was the zero-day vulnerability. There was 121 flaws, blah, 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 blah. Like I said, I, is, is it really news? I mean, Intel had a big patch Tuesday this week, too. Does Intel call it Patch Tuesday, or is it just... I don't know. I haven't done a Tuesday, and there was a whole... <laughs> there, uh, Intel issued on yesterday 27 new security advisories. Intel calls them security advisories, so they're SA-000, like, triple zero or 4075 was, like, one of the ones for... Uh, Intel's management engine or AMT. I forget which one. Uh, I covered that in my blog post. Um, so I'm becoming more familiar with the Intel security advisory. So August 9th, they released, very similar to Microsoft, right? <clears throat> they released the security advisory and it covers like a particular technology. Um, like one of them was, uh, I don't know if I still have it linked here. Oh, one of them was for Intel's active management technology. And when you dig into that particular one, um, which I I have somewhere, I can. So, I want basically I want to save you the trouble from reading all twenty seven if if you don't have to, because I skimmed through the list of twenty seven, and I found zero zero seven zero nine to be the most interesting out of all of them. And again, I'm looking for firmer specific stuff. There was, uh, I'll talk about a CV, uh, CVSS score of 9.9 in one of them as well. Um, but 
00709 Intel Security Advisory ER potential. I like to say potential security vulnerabilities. Here's where I'm going to kind of pick on Intel. And I, I apologize if you work for Intel and you're, you're listening to this. I, I love you. And if you reach out to me, I'm more than happy to have a conversation with you. Goes the same from goes the same, goes the same from Microsoft too. <laughs> um, so they say potential security vulnerabilities. Well, like if you have in this security advisory, you've assigned three CVEs to it. Like these aren't potential security vulnerabilities. These are security vulnerabilities that have been reported to you, and you've remediated. So you don't need the word potential in there. Uh, and this is in Intel's AMT or Active Management Technology and Intel standard manageability. I don't mm-hmm. know. I what is in what is I, is that they call that ISMly? What is I? I don't know what ISM is. Intel standard manageability. That's not manageability engine because they would call that converged security manageability engine. In any case, it says AMT may allow escalation of privilege or information disclosure, and then Intel in, standard manageability. It's part of AMT. It is part of AMT. Okay. Um, so the CVE, the first one's listed there is an 8.8. CVE 2022-30601. Insufficiently protected credentials for Intel AMT may allow an unauthenticated user to potentially enable information disclosure and escalation of privilege via network access. What now? So wait, so if the use, this is a vulnerability if the user borks the configuration? Unclear. <laughs> yeah. So it I says mean, insufficiently protected credentials. So does that mean previous vulnerabilities in AMT have been, it sends credentials over HTTP or ah, serial over LAN? They have a protocol for that. And they were sending it, I believe, in clear text. Um, so if we... Take insufficiently protected credentials as clear text credentials sent over an insecure protocol that may allow unauthenticated user to put, to potentially enable information disclosure is the fact that I sniffed the password off the network in clear text. I'm an unauthenticated user. You have insufficiently protected credentials because they're on the network in clear text. And it's an information disclosure because you're disclosing credentials to me. And then I can use those credentials to log on to AMT, whereas I wouldn't have before, is that your escalation of privilege via network access? Sounds goddamn convoluted. <laughs> How do you think about that for reading between the lines? I think we should just call it what it is. And Can't I just good. log in as a disabled system user instead? <laughs> <laughs> well, what I don't like is Intel's usage of escalation of privilege. Keep this in mind. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Escalation of privilege in Intel speak is I'm unauthenticated and I've escalated my privileges to authenticated. Now, most of us will call that authentication bypass, which I think is a better term for it because we tend to think of escalation of privilege as I already have privileges, at least the lowest level privileges that the system offers, and I'm escalating to a higher level of privilege. An unauthenticated, unauthenticated is not a level of privilege. Unauthenticated implies I have no privilege because I'm not authenticated. Anyway, Mm -hmm. I think it's dangerous because I don't want people to read this and go, oh, well, you already have to have credentials. 
So therefore, it's an escalation of privilege. So therefore, I prioritize it lower. I'm reading this as, no, this is authentication bypass, which means in the case of AMT, could be really bad. Like AMT mm -hmm. is what IT administrators use to rebuild your system remotely, Larry. Um, and your system doesn't have to be booted. It just has to have power. And when your right. system has power, the the chips and processed uh, and software for Intel's manageability engine mm -hmm. are actually running. And therefore, if it has the AMT feature, typically in the <clears throat> vPro line of systems, um, your system can be managed remotely over the network. Right. Such as remote power on to do you know, that all sort of... Correct. Correct. Yep. Access to all of your hardware. I explain it in all my blog posts. Um, hmm. But... Where else was I going with that? Oh, there was another vulnerability in uh, Intel that I read. A open AMT cloud toolkit. That is software that administrators use to manage AMT enabled right. systems. That was a 9.9. .9. That one, I believe, was what they considered an authentication bypass remote... Uh, <laughs> Vulnerable described as an authentication bypass that an unauthenticated attacker may exploit over the network open AMT toolkit, which is software that you would use to manage AMT. So it's not a firmware level vulnerability, but a vulnerability nonetheless if you're using open AMT cloud toolkit. So that was Intel's patch Tuesday. Hmm. They don't call it that. I, I call it that, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there was you know, other stuff. There was some stuff with wireless drivers and not... Wireless drivers, probably Intel's. Well, there would be drivers, right? Intel's. There was wireless stuff in there, Larry. Cool. Because Intel provides, like their Windows software packages, but those are yep. wireless drive. I mean, there's other manage manageability software in there, but also the drivers for Intel's Wi-Fi chips. Right. Correct. Yep. yep. I would not be surprised. Makes sense. It makes it, sense. Yeah. I, I didn't dig into any of those vulnerabilities to see what they were, but and a whole uh, bunch of other stuff too. Uh, while we're on the topic of Intel, also there is—is is this talk happening at Black Hat and DefCon? I don't know. You tell me. Um, well, you realize that Intel at this point has like a hit out on you, okay? Let's hope not. I work with a lot of people that used to work at Intel. Used to work at Intel. <laughs> They still they still have friends there, maybe. Yeah, maybe they have, still have friends there. Yeah. You don't. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just so we're clear. <laughs> they still have friends there who are telling them, "Hey, stay away from Paul. This There's Paul something guy. in his car. We're just it. not going to tell you what it is." <laughs> right. <laughs> it's dog poop. I can't uh, remember where this this research is happening at Black Hat and DefCon. In, in any case. Uh, hopefully we'll get to it as we kind of skim through skim through the article. This is in uh, Intel's SGX, uh, which is the software guard extensions. I, I have not dug into software guard extensions. Um, I'm told like having a background in, in cryptography really helps when trying to understand Intel software guard extensions. Lee's already got his head in his hands because I, I mentioned SGX. It's okay. It's okay. Actually, I was reminded as I'm looking through the other stories out there, I was actually thinking about 
I don't know if you talked about the 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 quantum resistant one that Larry pegged. Yeah, and I'm thinking we talked about that one last week. I do want to get to that one next. So I think it's worth covering again. Yeah, um, so I'll, did, I'll hold my thought. I did want to uh, SGX right is basically creating protected enclaves within memory uh, yeah. for your data that is application uh, specific. Mm-hmm. I'll leave it at that for a high level overview. So researchers. Uh, yeah, sorry. We'll present their findings on Wednesday at the Black Hat Security Conference in Las Vegas, which could have already happened um, at this point. Likely. So hopefully someone went to that talk and can tell us all about it maybe tomorrow. Um, but um, the passage that... So this is called uh, Epic, but there, it looks like they're using a, a Unicode character in in the mm-hmm. name of the the vulnerability so it looks like an a and an e kind of munged uh together um so i'll just refer to it as the epic leak enables attacks against sgx enclaves on ice lake cpus forcing specific data into caches and leaking targeted secrets um so they show attacks of leaking data held in memory and registers they demonstrate how the leak completely breaks um guarantees provided by sgx so it, it sounds like the key was put into memory at some point and they're able to go back in a cache and access the key. Well, that wasn't uh, very, I mean, there's a lot of technical details in the article. Um, But basically there's a technique that they showed that um, they deterministically leaking AES secret keys, RSA private keys, and extracting the SGX ceiling key for remote attestation. Right. So isn't this, this isn't the first Intel secure uh, exploit we've seen this year, isn't it? It's like, this has happened before. Yeah, uh, SGX has been, there has been security research on SGX. Uh, the article says since 2018, researchers have poked at least seven serious holes in SGX. This attack, uh, the most recent one that was presented today at Black Hat, resides in uh, APIC, Advanced programmable interrupt controller um it manages and routes interrupts uh which is the tech one of the technologies they rely on to basically get that cached uh, data uninitialized memory read is is what uh, the best way to say it remember when all of paul's stories used to be about secure coding in python yeah it's funny <laughs> funny how that works right that was never a thing <laughs> oh no it was now it's all about firmware it's funny. It's so funny I, that I, works. They, well, funny. Th- this isn't firmware. I mean, this is this is a processor yeah. feature. This is more hardware. No, security, so, I guess you could m- say. My question is, you know, we've had you know these seven flaws in SGX. I mean, my question is starting to become. I mean, Intel's trying to put a security region in the CPU, but is this a bad idea, or are they just run getting it out faster than they can get it totally tightened down? Yeah, it's tough to say. Like. Is it why not both? Is it difficult to do this, and therefore there's flaws and it needs to be more mature? Is Intel's implementation flawed? Is it a combination of the two? Is it that attackers are looking at this technology uh, with a certain level of scrutiny mm-hmm. because there's there's payoffs for doing you know this kind of this kind of research? Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it, I'm not sure which it is. I mean, it could be all of those things, right? It could be a perfect storm. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd love to see them figure it out. It's kind of cool, but I just, I'm not holding my breath. Mm. Uh, 
something uh, ragged on in Discord about not being in Vegas. We are not in Vegas, I know. All right. I wish I was. Been there, done that, came home. Um, yeah. Right. Did uh, actually you did that what like last week? I was no, I was I came home home Monday. I was there over the weekend for, for board meetings and I needed to get back. Mm-hmm. So. Different board meetings. Oh, we can talk yeah. about my story number four. Open oh. redirect flaw snags Amex and Snapchat user data. Yeah. My comment in this one, for the love of all things, please fix your open redirects. The, like, that's still a thing. Seriously? And seriously? Well, I mean, I think there's Amex a of- fixed their Amex fixed their shit, but Snapchat didn't. They were too busy, uh, you know, touting this new security feature they had for kids and parents uh, this week. Oh, to report people selling drugs on Snapchat. Oh no, that was for Snapchat. It was the uh, you could uh, see who your kids were conversing with, mm. um, not what the contents were, but you could see who they were conversing with. There's a lot of bad things that are happening on Snapchat, particularly with youth. A lot of bullying, a lot of people selling and dealing drugs on mm-hmm. there. I, I, I've heard stories about that, all that stuff. I mean, that's where you, that's where you got the good stuff. Right? I mean, I, apparently that's where you get the good stuff. Oh, I thought. Never mind. Never mind. They're gonna say anything. Yeah, that's where you heard about on the internet. You get the good stuff. That's right. Right. Our friend Bob. Right. Bob. Where he buys his drugs right. <coughs> on Snapchat. Right. <clears throat> what about nineteen Cisco business routers? Uh, this one I didn't. There's like every week there's a flaw in some type of Cisco gear or product. I guess <laughs> when you have that many products and that much code that's running on yep. all of those products and arguably so many different code bases right an attacker can exploit this vulnerability by sending specially crafted http input to an affected device i mean let's just this seems to be true of every single device from cisco <laughs> that runs a web server is that it has some type of vulnerability that involves a specially crafted http requests and a successful exploit could allow the attacker to execute arbitrary code as the root user on the underlying operating system causing the device to reload, resulting in a denial of service condition. Is that all? Anyway. Yeah. Oh, you can inject arbitrary commands. As the root user. As the root yeah. user. A lot of these devices, there is no other user other than the root <laughs> user. Yep. That is the Shocking. user, right? Oh, and, I, and I think the, the, the market for these two is an interesting one in that it's small to medium business type stuff their small business stuff is i mean it's nice because the price point the price point is good right it's not crappy consumer level stuff right but it's not their enterprise gear and it's not priced like their enterprise Mm -hmm. gear it's priced higher than the consumer stuff but not out of reach um so i think they've done a good job of targeting that market the problem is the software stack in my experience they're using on this gear is some combination of like some enterprise stuff, but some consumer crap too. Like they talk about universal plug and player, uh, open, open plug, and open play. plug and play, yeah. right? So like it's this like really weird combination of those two that makes it really hard to configure. Because like people might be used to configuring the consumer stuff, and then you get enterprise people are like, oh, like it's iOS, like cool, and then you start typing, and you're like. Fuck, all these commands are different. This is like iOS. all the functionality is not there, so I can't go find the iOS like equivalent and it's really super annoying. This is this is an interesting one too from some language from this one and uh, some interesting experience that I have. 
The third router flaw was the OpenP1 that could be abused by sending malicious input to achieve code execution on the targeted Linux host. So, I, yeah, the, yeah. I don't know if that's a typo or... A, a leak? Like they're admitting they're, this is the RV series, RV160, RV340. <laughs> yep. Or... In the in the effort to reduce the cost of these devices, instead of spinning up the Cisco silicon that they use in their devices, mm-hmm. I got to sneeze here. Bless you. Bless you. <laughs> yeah, Cisco small business RV Salute. RV series. Excuse me. Yeah. That they are emulating, <laughs> using Linux as the based operating system, and they're and providing some emulation of their quote iOS commands. That would explain their my iOS frustration or, in their, or even their iOS crap. functionality yeah. because that stuff I have seen. And that was, uh, you know, back in fail panel days, uh, mm-hmm. you know, nine years ago, as a matter of fact, um, when I presented at DEF CON when I was technically unemployed right before I went to work for Guardians, mm-hmm. um, was talking about some ways in which I was able to bypass bootloader on a Cisco device that was running a Linux bootloader. And then mm-hmm. we could change what all the stuff was in emulation because all the config files were on the Linux side mm-hmm. and not in the emulated iOS side. It was just mounted as a disk. Interesting. And yeah, fun. Yeah, Tyler and I were talking about the Cisco small business line, and he recommended go to Ubiquity. Yep. Yeah. Even with all their problems. Yep. He said the switches are awesome to configure and they support uh, mirroring and all that stuff. Spam ports. It's just because they've augmented reality on the switches, let's be honest. You can point your phone at it and see the see the poor the ports are going, and it's just really cool. It is. It is. Do they really have that? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. You you get the the Unify app and the switch the LCD screen in the switch uh, shows a uh, like like the rotating dots the, the constellation like you have for your Apple Watch type thing mm-hmm. and uh, when once you configure it it'll actually show you which port is hooked up to everything on your on your switch. That's yep. awesome. So I'm like, getting invaded. Yeah. So like if you go in into your switch and you label port one as connected to your your, your television and port two is to your NAS and port three for your wireless router and mm-hmm. all that type of stuff. You can use a VR and it will show you, oh, it puts a little call out and says, this one's your TV. And mm-hmm. so like, oh, I got to unplug my TV. Which one is it? Oh, it's that one. Nice. I haven't used it, but. Yeah, now you're making me want to go to Ubiquity. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> on my Switch, I'm already there on my access point. Yep. Same. I'm there on my access points. Um, Do you I, have to be I, all in and have the the dream? No. The dream thing. No. No. Uh, so I have Ubiquity access points. I do not have uh, a dream a cloud key or cloud. Key. I do not I have, have a cloud dream, key. I do not have a dream machine, uh, and I have some a uh, little bit older Ubiquity switches that are in the rack, but I just haven't migrated to them yet. Mm. So uh, yeah, I went full Unify. Yep. And it's fun, except for the fact that you can't buy the damn things. You literally have to watch. I have alerts set up on various items that I still need, huh. and uh, they they come in and out of stock. Like there's actually a subreddit for ubiquity in stock, and it, it like it, you have about forty five minutes when you get an alert that there's something there, and you're like, what is it? Oh, I, I need that. You have about forty five minutes. Otherwise, it's sold out. I don't care what it is and what the quantity is. It's sold out. Hmm. Interesting. So unless you need some access points, I got a few extra of those. Um, a, a couple stories we talked about in weeks past. Um, the quantum resistant encryption cracked by a basic ass PC. I love the title. Right. A basic ass PC. Yep. What was it? A uh, 
Oh God. It wasn't a lot involved. It was a, a single was co- a single core PC. Yeah, single. It was a single core right. PC, yeah, and it only took an hour. Yeah, that was a Psyche or S I S I K E. Yep, Psyche. Yeah, Psyche, which was uh, in the running as a post quantum cryptography protocol. Right. Yep, I love it. Yep. The whole process of decrypting Psyche reportedly took sixty minutes or so. The amount of time it takes for your DoorDash to arrive. The math, which I'll never understand, can be read in the research team's paper. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And we did talk about Intel's microcode uh, decryptor. Okay, good. So skip it. Skip it. That was Intel Atom. They found a debug thing and were able to snag the... Uh, yep. Snag the firmware, I think. Slack resets passwords after exposing hashes and in invitation links. I saw that Slack and Twitter had some type of data breach. <sighs> I didn't really dig into them. It, it really, like, we're, get, I don't, we're at the point where, like, oh yeah, that place had a data breach. Like, oh yeah, it was Patch Tuesday and there was a zero day exploded in the wild. Like, yeah, okay, moving on. <laughs> yep. Have we really gotten to the point where it is com- so commonplace to have a data breach that we're just like, you know, it's Tuesday? Yeah. Well, and, today, and, and, yeah. today's Wednesday, but yeah. I mean, so so what are the data breaches you remember? Off the top of your head, you remember Heart, Heartland and Target, mm-hmm. and uh, then there's like a dozen others that I could probably you dig up out of my skull, but like, and then they just blur. Mm-hmm. 7-Eleven, Hannaford's, um, SolarWinds. RSA, Twitter. Yeah, but okay. So so now with people, uh, with people having their data everywhere, it's breached every week, every month, every year. Yep. You know your your what particular data. Oh, Ashley Madison. Oh my god. Ninety-two <laughs> percent of those were robots. So you know, bot accounts. Don't worry. Um. But I mean, seriously, it's like, it's, 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 uh, what do people do now that their data is, is pwned so often, breached so often? Is there something they should do? I know this is off topic. I'm sorry. I'm just having fun here. But is there anything that people should do when their data is, oh, it's Tuesday? Uh, I mean, take, take all your data offline. Uh, Privacy is dead. Long live privacy. Yeah. I mean, there was a poll in Canada. Uh, and now I wish I added that article based on your uh, statement just now, Josh, that said that uh, 92% of Canadians, according to a survey, wish they could just remove all of their identities from the internet. Huh. Which, I mean, follow Michael Bazell's uh, podcast, Privacy and OSINT Security. I mean, he talks a lot about how to get a lot of your data um, out of these databases. And uh, also, we did an interview last year, right, where we talked to someone about uh, who runs a service to like get your data offline and some of the ways you can just take matters in your own hands and get some of your data offline, but it's not taking your data off everything, right? So I guess you can reduce your risk, Josh, but um, yeah, change your passwords. I don't know. Yeah, so Josh, you're like, well, name those. They all sort of blur together. And I went to uh, haveibeenpwned.com, pwned websites, forward slash pwned websites, and like I started scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and realized that I'm not even halfway through the A's yet. Mm. For yourself? No, I'm just scrolling through all the websites that they have their oh, breach oh, data oh. cataloged for. And I'm like, scroll, 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 scroll. And I'm on A-N. Oh, I just got to B. Like, 
A lot of Jeez. data breaches. Jesus. <sighs> like I said, moving right along. Yep. <laughs> Another day in the neighborhood. That's it. <laughs> I think that will round out this segment uh, for this evening. Uh, we're going to cut to uh, next up our interview with Mickey and Jesse, all about not so secure boot. So stay tuned. <laughs> 